There was a story that was written about a little parakeet bird named Chippy. Chippy was in his uh, cage, being uh, taken care of by the the woman who owned him, and he's she was in there cleaning out the cage. And I've never had a bird. I was worked in a pet shop where we had a lot of birds, but never had just one. So apparently, the way that this one was cleaning out the cage was that they took a vacuum cleaner and they put it inside to suck up all the stuff that's on the bottom. You know, the bird birds are messy, messy, messy pets. And while well, the phone rang. And so she turned her head to, to uh, get the phone. And just as she did, the, she heard a whoop. And yeah, the uh, vacuum cleaner sucked up the parakeet. So she was very distraught at this. And so she uh, ripped open the vacuum cleaner bag and there was Chippy. And he was still alive. Chippy was still okay, but kind of dirty. You know, all that vacuum cleaner bag stuff that's in there. And so I had that all over him. And so she said, well, we'll clean him off. And so she took Chippy, put him under the sink, and rinsed him off. And then she noticed that poor Chippy was soaked. And so she did what any other good bird owner would do, I suppose. And so she grabbed her blow dryer. (laughs) And she pointed at it, and it got the little bird here, blasted with the hot air out of the blow dryer to dry him up. And so a reporter was doing a story on this. I'm not sure why this attracted a reporter, but for some reason they were doing a report on this. And so they uh, called up a few days later to see how Chippy was doing after the whole ordeal. And she said, well, Chippy's doing just fine, but he doesn't sing anymore. He just sits on that perch and just stares. <laughs> I guess if you went through that whole experience, getting sucked up into a vacuum, put underneath the sink and hit with a blow dryer, maybe you wouldn't sing anymore either. I tell you that story because what happens with a lot of Christians is our song is gone. We've lost our song. We're not singing the songs. We're not saying the things that we used to say. Things have happened and have taken our song away. Last week we looked at a passage in Matthew and we saw that in this passage Jesus is describing a situation. And we spent some time looking at it. We didn't pull everything out of it yet. We still have a few more things to to do. But here's here's the main part of the passage we looked at. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Now, we said before, why does the unclean spirit go out of the man? Because someone said something. Jesus was casting out spirits and he, he would command them to go and they would go. They don't just go on their own. So something happened. A miracle happened. Someone spoke the word and... This demon spirit left. But they went to the dry places seeking rest and finds none. This is why demon spirits possess people. They want the peace that the person has because they have none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now understand this. This is just a side note. I don't think we said this last time. Demon spirits are not fallen angels because fallen angels have a body. Demon spirits do not. I could spend time and show you through the Word of God where demon spirits came from because the Word of God tells us very clearly where they came from. But they are disembodied spirits. They are not fallen angels. And they possess people. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now the house is who? The man. He calls it his house. Get a little possessive there, huh? I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Now I was looking over some of the questions that the kids had from the, the last one and 
I'm trying to work these questions in here. So here's one of them. What is swept and put in order? Well, before it was messy. Because apparently demon spirits in their state of unrest don't like neat places. And so when they come into a neat place, they mess it up. And so when they left, they cleaned it up. They cleaned up the house. The house was, uh, was more in order. Now you can, it, me, here in this country, we may not have seen demon-possessed people. It's, it doesn't seem to be quite as common. In other countries, we see it more. I've heard stories of things that have done. Lester Summerall tells some stories about some stuff with demon spirits. Wow. Hmm. Not going to get into that here now. But he says, he says, I will return from where I came. When he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Now, if it's empty now, is the man still there? Well, the house is the man. But the man doesn't apparently count. Because even though he's there, it's called empty. Now, was it empty before? No, there was a demon spirit in there. So it was not empty. It was not swept and was not put in order. So the changing condition was it's now empty, swept, and put in order. Now, if you were the man, would you prefer to stay in the state of not being demon-possessed or in the state of being demon-possessed? I don't think it takes too, too much to figure that one out. So he finds it swept and put in order. And apparently, the condition of the house kept him from going back in. Because the next verse, it says, Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Now, here's one of the questions that came up from the kids last, last week. How is it that some spirits are more evil? Oh, it's just like with people. Just how many of you know some people that are kind of nice? And some people that are hmm, not so nice. And then some people that are just downright evil and mean. Yeah, people have levels of meanness and evilness, and so do demon spirits, apparently. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said about it. I think he knows. Kind of go with his, uh, his take on it. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. So what, was, what happened was the condition of this person was changed so that the original inhabitant couldn't make his entry back in. He had to go out and get some help. So he gets seven other spirits more wicked than, than himself. Now think of it this way. How many of you uh, went to college or got in some situation where you had an apartment? Anybody have that? All right. How many remember having a roommate? How many enjoyed that roommate? Not quite as many hands, but we still had some up there. Have you ever had a roommate where you did not enjoy the roommate? Yeah, I've had, I've, I'll tell you what, I've had some fun roommates. College, I had great roommates. Great roommates in college, even the ones freshman year where you get stuck with people you don't know. They were phenomenal roommates. I'm still in touch with one. The other one, no one knows where he is. I've asked. No one knows where he is. So, uh, but uh, Bob, I'm, I'm still able to be in touch with, and he's the one who corrupted me when I was in college. I was a sweet, innocent guy until, <laughs> until college, and then <laughs> Bob is the reason. Bob will tell you that he is the reason for it. He will, he will certainly tell you that. And he, tells me, he was telling me in a Facebook post, we were swapping some things back and forth, and he says, I'm the reason he cleaned up his act. So we had a mutual effect upon each other. <laughs> but um, when I went to, to Rhema, I, uh, uh, my, my parents, I was going out to a town. I didn't know anybody. And my, my dad knew somebody from work 
who knew somebody or somehow they, they had contacts. So I was being met by somebody in the airport that I didn't know. And they took me over to their house. I stayed there for a couple of days until I could find a roommate. Well, I found a roommate and I didn't know them either. And so we moved in together and took this, uh, this place and he was not a Raymond student. And uh, it was not pleasant. It was not a pleasant situation. But we kind of survived and, and got on through. And uh, eventually, you know, he, he was dating a girl and they would come on over and they would carry on in some ways that didn't really like uh, going on in the, in the place. And so eventually, you know, we, uh, he decided he was going to move out. And I said, good. <laughs> Go. And so he, uh, he moved out. And uh, one of the, after he had moved out, he came on back into the apartment. And he still had a key. Came on back into the apartment. Uh, I supposed to get some more stuff, but all of his stuff was gone. And he and his uh, girlfriend decided to sit on the couch and kind of take over the living room. So I, I walked into the living room and said, no, you don't live here anymore. This isn't your place. And so I told him they had to leave. I was standing there. They were sitting on the sofa. And then all of a sudden, his girlfriend says this. She says, now, guys, don't get into a fight. I looked at her and said, fight? And just as I got those words out of my mouth, he launched off of the sofa and attacked me. Now, I am not the biggest and strongest guy. In fact, there's probably thousands of other ones <laughs> bigger and stronger than I am. But he was not one of them. I did not hit him, punch him, or anything like that. I put him in a headlock. Uh, you know, you can make a headlock very painful. And so I put him in a headlock and held him down on the floor and, uh, until he said... He agreed that he was going to leave. And when he finally agreed that he was going to leave, he, uh, he got up, got his girlfriend. They walked on out the door. Last I ever saw them. Glory to God. <laughs> so I had no roommate for a little while. And then I had a note on the board, you know, advertising for somebody to come on in. And uh, this guy, one guy showed up. And, you know, we talked for a little bit. And he seemed nice. And, well, fine. You know, I need a roommate. I can't afford the place all by myself. So uh, he came on in. And it was wonderful. Wonderful relationship. Um, he kind of stayed to himself. I stayed to myself. We enjoyed each other's company when we were there. And, and he was not a Raymond student either. And it worked out fine. Uh, but then situations came up and he had to move out. And so he had to go. So uh, went out and found another roommate. This other roommate came on in and again, stayed to himself. He's not a Raymond student. Everything was going good. We're doing fine. And then his brother wanted to come and move out to where he was. So he said, would you mind if my brother came along? Yeah, you all see where this one's going, don't you? <laughs> so we rented a bigger apartment that had three bedrooms, and uh, we took this spot. Now, his, his, we were, all, the two of us, always very neat in the apartment. Dishes were always done. There was never dishes in the sink. It was never messy. The vacuuming was done. Place was, uh, I mean, we were guys, but it looked pretty good. <laughs> and so... Uh, we moved into the spot, and his brother came on in, and the first night, I came in, I was over working at Ken's Pizza, and I get home at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I come home, and there are dishes all over the sink, all over. Now, this era of my life, I could not sleep with dishes in the sink. So I commenced to clean up dishes that I did not dirty after a 10, 12-hour shift over at work, and cleaned them all up, and um, came back the next day, and there was dishes all over the sink again. Now, I got over my problem of not being able to sleep <laughs> with dishes in the sink really fast. <laughs> and so we had some conversations about that, and eventually I just left. <laughs> that was it. Not a good roommate situation. But the reason that we have roommates is because they help with the expenses. 
I think if any of us had our, had our own way of doing it, we would have just, if we were single, we would just have a room by ourselves. But you see, the roommate made it more enjoyable, uh, more uh, feasible. You could afford things. So if you are a demon spirit and you have the place to yourself, <laughs> would you want to go and find seven other roommates more despicable evil than you are to come in and to move in with you? I can't see that being ideal even if I was if, for a demon spirit. I just can't see it being completely ideal, but that's what they had done. So there had to be some necessity that the Word of God brings us about that first off, when he came back, he couldn't get in, so he went and found some others and then brought them on in and then they could get in. So they came on in. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Now, we use that as an example because how many times have we taken on a condition? Say that you have a healing condition and you received prayer for that and it went away. It was gone. And after a while, that condition came back. And it seemed to come back worse than it was before. That's not, not a fun thing. Or how about this one? You got on a diet to lose weight. And you lost weight. You went from 250 pounds down to 210 pounds in two months. Glory to God. But then time passed and you got back up to 250, sometimes even 260 or 270. You gained up more weight than you had before. And your last state is worse than the first. Have you ever had that? Where you took it on, you tried to make something better. And by the time you got done, it was worse. The last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be, also be with the wicked generation, with this wicked generation. Now, we saw that swept and put in order was changed, but also the condition of empty was changed. He, the Word of God says he, the, the house was empty, swept, and put in order. The seven other spirits beside the one came in. Is the place empty anymore? We don't want to lose the emphasis here that the place is no longer empty. It has changed. It is now filled. Here's one of the things that we, we have done as Christians is that we have attempted to change a situation. We have a chain, attempted to change something in our life we don't like. But instead of just putting things in order, we left it empty. We didn't put something in its place. Now, I put in your outline there, how many remember, what's it, two, three years now we've been doing the 100-day challenge? I think somewhere around the beginning of April we started. And during that time, it's a, high, it's a time for you to take something that you don't like in your life and replace it with something else. But the idea is to take something you don't like and replace it with something else that you do like or do desire or do want. And after 100 days that you have uh, worked in such a way to, to keep that as part of your life. I put this in your outline for you. In order to make a change lasting you cannot just take away what you don't like or want. You have to add something to fill its place. If this man would have put something in the house besides just cleaning it up and putting it in order, if he would have put something in the house, the demon spirit couldn't have gone and found seven others more wicked than himself and come and made that state of that man worse than it was before. What Jesus is telling us here 
is if you have a situation you want it changed, you can believe God for a miracle, you can receive a miracle, but if you don't do something to sustain that change, that change will not last. You need to do something to sustain it. So we want to take a look at some things that we do to, to sustain this. And in order to do this, we have a demonstration here first. And I tried something out on Facebook. We got some volunteers. We put it up there on Facebook to get some volunteers. And so we got some volunteers on, on Facebook. So Mia and Effa, come on up. They are our volunteers. And they have a project. I told them a little bit about what they're going to do here, here today. Effa, come on over here. We won't make... We won't make the girl lift anything. It's not the girls can't lift anything. We just don't want to make girls lift anything. All right, go right, right over to the stage. Right in front of the stage. Right over there where Mia's standing. All right, this is good. All right, now, come on over here. You can stay on that side. Me, you can go on the other side. Get on the end of the table. Now, we asked for some volunteers. If you weren't up on Facebook and you didn't see that, we asked for some volunteers for some help here. And this is what we're going to do. I want you to build this. Okay? Now, you don't get to open the box. I want you to build this. Okay? It's real simple. There's the picture. You all said that you're real good at building these kind of things. So, I want you to build that. Are you ready? Whoever builds it first wins. All right. All right. Go. Well, come on. I mean, nobody's going to win if you don't do anything. Come on, let's go. Build it. Just like this. Just like that and just like that. What's the matter? I think what they're trying to say is they don't have the right pieces. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you guys' help. You get to keep that and take that home. You get to keep that and take that home. You can build the real thing at home. All right. You guys can sit down. This is what we do a lot of times, folks, is we are asking God to build something in our life, and we are giving him the wrong pieces. Now, now Mia, hold that up. Hold that up. Let me see it again. We look at that and say, oh, I like that. Oh, I want that in my life. That's what I want in my life. And we say, God, build it. We're not giving them the right pieces. If we don't give God what he needs in our life to build what we want, who's at fault? But you see, the things in the Word of God, He's told us what He needs to build some of these things. So, we're going to spend a number of weeks looking at the things that God needs in our life in order to build the things that we want. Now, here's one of the first things we're going to look at here. Over in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And verse 1. Before we get to that, let me just tap into your, your memory banks here. Genesis chapter 3. Remember when Adam and Eve fell? All right, what was inside of Eve? When the, when the enemy came up to her, what was inside of Eve? Inside of Eve was the word of God. Inside of Eve was what God said. Don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden. 
All the other trees you can eat from, don't eat from the tree in the center. And what does he do? Has God really said? Because in order to enact a change, see, the devil wants to enact a change upon Adam and Eve. He wants to do something to change their situation. In order to bring about a change, what you first must do is empty the house of what it had and then fill it up with something different. So what he has to do first is take out the word. Has God really said? You see, God knows that the day that you eat of that, you will become as God's. See, now he has put something else in the house. You want to be as God. That's what you want. You want to be as God. I do. So he took out what was in there and he put in something else. And did it enact a change? Oh, it sure did. It was not a good change, but it was a change. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, had said, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God has put something inside of Abram to enact a change. In order to enact this change, I need first off for you to get out of your country. I need you to get away from your family. And I need you to go to a new land, a land I will show you. And Abraham eventually does do all these things. So what, did God, what is God looking to take away? All the things that caused Abraham to be Abra, or Abram, all the things that caused him to be who he was. I want to I make you into something different. I want to change your situation. Look at what he, again, what he says to him. I will make you a great nation. Is he a great nation now? No, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Is his name great now? No. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that's a tall order. That is quite a picture. Effa, hold up your picture. That's saying, that's what I want. That's what I want. Now, the problem is, that's what sounds good to Abraham, but what's Abraham got? He's got Lincoln Logs. You can't make Legos out of Lincoln Logs. So God has to do something to extract the Lincoln Logs out. I'm not saying Lincoln Logs are no good. If you want to build a log cabin, that's what you need. Legos won't help you out as much. But if you want to build some of those fancy things they do with Legos, that's what you have to get. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. See, now he's finally left all his relatives. Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. So he's putting inside of Abram. I want you to look as far as you can see. That's yours. I want you to think about all the sand, all the stars. I want you to think about those things. And that's how many your descendants will be. 
How many descendants does he have right now? None. But he's expanding them. This is how many you're going to have. This is what we're going to do. We're going to expand you. We're going to make it bigger. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is after he defeated five kings with 200 guys. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now think about this. When this all started with Abram, he was 75 years old. How many kids did he have? Most people, when they hit 75 years old, have usually had all the kids that they're going to have. (laughs) He is 75 years old. Do you not think that inside of Abraham, inside of his wife, is the thought that we are never going to have any kids? If you have not had any kids for all those years, probably 50 plus years, no kids, none. You're probably thinking, I'm not going to have any kids. Kids are not in the, this is not in my future. So God has to extract this out of him. And so he's been saying these things to him to get him to think about stuff. I don't want you to think about no kids. I want you to think about sand. I want you to think about stars. I want you, when you're looking up at the stars at nighttime, I want you to think, that's my descendants. When it's daytime and you're walking around and you see sand all over, I want you to think, this is my descendants. I can't even number all the sand here, but this is my descendants. That's what he wants them to do. Day and night, he's got a way for him to think about multiplication. But what has he done? He keeps thinking about what I got. How many kids you got? You just hear the the enemy coming up in his ears. How many kids you got? None. That's right. How are you going to have sand descendants when you have no kids? So he keeps pondering these things. And going over these things. And so when God, can you imagine this? God shows up and talks with you and you argue with him. Imagine, I'm, put yourself in Abraham's spot here. Here's what God, God comes to you and he says, do not be afraid and put your name in there. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Is that not a nice greeting? And you come back with, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless in the air of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Is that a good response? It's, big, it's a product of all the things you're thinking about. You see, we talked about this last week. Whatever you want to build, you have to support. Whatever you want to build, you have to support it. When you look at those big towering skyscrapers in New York City. What do they have to do first? Support it. I heard of one of those skyscrapers. I don't know if it's Philadelphia, New York, one of those things. I saw a little report on it. It's sinking. Can you imagine that? If you built this big, beautiful towering skyscraper and after some years of it being there, it starts to sink on one side and starts to 
tilt a little bit? That's not good. This is not good. I heard that they're thinking it might be that some of the excavation they did in the area did some stuff with the water. and uh, I don't know if that's the case, but you got a big, tall skyscraper. There's no place for that sucker to go. What do you do with that? You got to support it. The reason most things are in your life, folks, is because you support it. That's just how it is. How many of you got some things in your life you don't like? Yeah, yeah, I got, we got some things. I got some things in my life I don't like. I like to I look at it. I say, I like to get rid of it. I, I paint the picture. Here's the Lego picture. This is what I like to see. And then I have Lincoln Logs. You know, I can keep some areas really well organized, but there are just always areas that I have that are cluttered as can be. And I'd like to change that. But you see the reason that they stay that way? Because I have things that I'm doing that support it. I top of my dresser, I come home, I take all the stuff out of my pocket, put it up in there in the <laughs> top of the dresser. That's not good. See, the reason that you have those things is because you, you support it. Whatever it is that you got that you don't like, it's there because you're supporting it somehow. You may not want to support it. But somehow you're doing it. So the thing is, you've got to find out, how am I supporting this thing from being in my life and cut those things out? Because if you cut out the support, they won't be in your life. If you have a weight that you don't like, the reason it's there is because it's supported. Doesn't mean that you overeat. Doesn't mean that you don't exercise enough. Doesn't mean any of those things at all. All that means is, somehow your lifestyle supports that weight. If you have a health condition, somehow your lifestyle is supporting that health condition. If you can find out what it is that you do that supports that health condition, you can get rid of that health condition. But most medications and things like that, they're not there to underdo the support. They're just there to make you not feel it. But the support structure is still there. So if you have headaches and you take Tylenol, Headaches are not gone. You still have them. You just don't feel them. But there's still something in your life that's supporting that headache. Those, that, those things constantly coming on. The other, other things we talked about, you know, high blood pressure. The doctors will have three or four reasons, and you may hear those, and that's not true, that's not true, that's not in my life. Well, there's something in there that's, that's supporting that. So ask God, what is it that I'm doing that supports this? What is it that I'm doing? They can cut this out. Somehow you can do it. And you see, what you have to do is you have to begin to paint a picture in yourself that I can do it. Because if you have a weight that you don't like, but you're so used to looking yourself in the mirror at that weight, you start to work yourself down to a lower weight or whatever it is, up to a higher weight, whatever it is that you're trying to do. You look at that, that's not me. Now, you're not saying that. But your mind is putting that together. That's not me. That's fake. It's going to go away. I'm going to go back to what I was. Because you have a, you have a structure in your head that's supporting that condition. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you were able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. 
And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how should I know that I will inherit it? And the rest of the chapter, he talks about cutting the covenant, where they took the animal, cut it up, and the angel passed between the pieces and so forth. Genesis chapter 17. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, how old was this when we started? 75. He's now 99. How many years is that? 24 years. 24 years. This condition has now, now gone on. I'm just pulling a number out of the head. I have no idea when he got married. I know they got married pretty young then. And so I'm not going to go as young as that. I'm going to say he got married at 20. If he got married at 20, he's now 99 years old. That is 79 years he has existed in a condition of no kids. A thinking that he is barren and no kids. In 79 years, at least that. Probably it was more than that. But we'll say it was at least 79 years. That's a long time. And his wife too. Now for the last 24 years, God has been working on him to change that viewpoint. How long? 24 years. God has been on the case. To get him to change what he's doing. Has it worked? Now, it hasn't worked, has it? There's still no baby. Ninety-nine years old. Ninety-nine years old. In fact, did we skip over a verse or did I just put them out of order? I may have just put them out of order. Because I didn't talk about Hagar. I didn't put that reference in because it's a long chapter. It's a long chapter. So I left that chapter out. But remember when Hagar was brought in? Because God's promise to him was from your body. He didn't say anything about Sarah. His promise, he's talking to Abraham. And so Sarah says, well, he's made that promise to you. So maybe we do it this way. And we bring Hagar over and... That whole escapade came on and, you know, had the, the child. So now he's got one. He's happy. I got one. God's talking stars and sand. He's talking one. Has he changed his thinking? And God has been working on the case. God has been working on this case. So Abraham was 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, <clears throat> and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I have made you a father, not of many kids. I have made you a father of of many nations. So I'm changing your name. Verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And your descendants after you and your, their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you. And your descendants after you. Now how long has this condition been going on? 
He's 99 years old, at least 79 years. He's, he knows he's been no, no kids. Something, like, something in that area. How many of you have had a condition in your body longer than 79 years? All right, nobody. So all of your conditions have been in your body less than this. So is there hope for you to change your condition? <laughs> there surely is. If there is hope for Abraham to change his condition, there is hope for you to change your condition. He's been at this for 99 years. This is his thinking. And you haven't been going at it that long. So we want to find out what Abraham has done to bring about this change. Because right now, 24 years, no change. Unless you want to count the one with Hagar. And what did God say about that? I'm not counting that. God says, I'll make, I'll make them a great nation. Well, he'll say that here. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, he says. What do you think? If you are Abraham, put yourself in the people's positions in the Bible when you, when you read these things. You're Abraham. No kids. And he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Uh, God, I'm 99. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now he goes on and gives the, the, the things about this. Jump, jump down to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? He's rounding up. And shall Sarah who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That would kind of be like if you suffer with headaches. And, you, and God says, You shall be free of headaches the rest of your days. And you would say, Oh, that Tylenol would live before you. Oh, that there would be an everlasting supply of Tylenol in my house. That's kind of like the same thing. And God says, no, no Tylenol. No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. So God's put a name on him. You know, if you ever want to... Not have a stray cat come around. First off, don't feed them. Secondly, don't name them. <laughs> if you have named the cat and you are feeding the cat, that cat is yours. Yeah. 
I don't care if you bring the cat in the house. The cat is yours. Hmm. No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. Now we've got a time thing on this. Next year. God's been working with him for 24 years to get him in a place of faith. And he hasn't gotten there. What's going to change now? Well, he changes their name. That's really all he did. He changed their name. What does this affect? Out of their mouth. What's, what's your name? <sighs> Father of many. Wow, how many kids you got? One. Your name is what? Father of many. Now, I'm sure he was kind of begrudging about this for a little bit. But in order for this to work, doesn't he have to submit to it? If he goes around and introduces himself to everyone as Abram, it's not changing anything. He says, no, your name shall be called from here on out, Abraham, father of many. I changed your wife's names too. We're changing her conversation. But I'm changing your conversation. I want you to talk about the multitude of kids you are having to everyone. I want when you find strangers on the street, I want you to, to tell them I'm Abraham. I am father of many because God has promised me that nations will come from me and that all the world will be blessed. When you run into people that you know, hey, Abram, how you doing? I am not Abram. My name is Abraham. Abraham, you don't have any kids. My name is Abraham. Can you see what this is doing to him? He is put in a place where he has to talk to everyone, those who know him, those who don't, about the promise. And he's got to keep talking about the promise. Keep speaking about the promise. Verse 22 says, Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Not Abram. Abraham. Now, without submission to the change, there is no effect. If you do not submit to what God says to do to change your situation, there is no effect. You have to submit to it. If they don't stick to the change, there is no lasting effect. What happens if they do this for a month? That's not going to work, is it? Now, let me break this down for you time-wise. He says in one year, how long does it take for a baby? Nine months. That means we got three months here. God is expecting that in three months, a change is going to occur. And that Abraham will have become exceedingly fruitful at the age of 99 years old. Proverbs 18, verse 21. You're very familiar with these verses. Just reading them to you again. Death and life are in the power of the, the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 15, 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Why do you have joy? By the answers of your mouth. 
Now look at the answers of our mouth so far. Let's take a look at our conditions that we've got that have been around here for a while. Maybe you got headaches. You have been prayed for. You saw relief from those headaches for a week, two weeks, whatever period of time, but then they came back. What was your conversation in your mouth? I can't believe it. I was in a meeting last night and so-and-so laid hands on me. I don't have any handbag. I can't believe it. I'm astounded. I can't believe it. Are those good words? Oh, no. No, that's not good, is it? And you go on like that for a little while. And the devil begins to sow some, some thoughts inside there. You know, you've had times in the past where headaches weren't there for a couple of days and they came back. Oh, Lord, I sure don't want those headaches to come back. Oh, Lord, please don't let those headaches come back. Say those are wrong words. I'm saying, telling God, you didn't do this right. You didn't do this permanently. And I'm afraid that what you did is insufficient. And then a couple weeks later, maybe a headache begins to start. And what do we say? Oh, I thought I was healed. Your words are supporting the old lifestyle. And that's why the old lifestyle comes back. Because your words support it. Now here's the thing you may not even be aware of. You don't even have to have negative talk about your situation. How many of y'all know it's a good idea not to cuss? <laughs> you all know that. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You just use your inside hand. How many still do it? Now we may say, well, you know, I didn't do it in front of anybody. I didn't say it to hurt anybody. It doesn't matter. Do you know that those kind of words change your atmosphere? They change the atmosphere with your in. They change the atmosphere on the inside. Scientists will tell you that they've done studies and apparently when people are laughing, it changes their chemistry of their body. When people are worried and anxious, that also changes the chemicals, chemical makeup of their body. You are not made to handle worry and anxiety and fear. You're not made to handle it. If you keep bringing that on, it will produce a bad effect on your body because you're supporting it. We've got to watch our words. How about hateful words? Do you know that changes the atmosphere that you're around? That changes the chemical nature, nature on the inside. It just does things in the natural, but it also does things on a spiritual level. The reason that you take authority over your tongue is not because you'll get into heaven because you don't cuss. The reason that you take authority over your tongue is because your life down here a whole lot better. Now we can look at some other things too that people do with their mouth. How many of you complain about your friends? How many of you complain about your relatives? Complain about your job? Complain about your boss? Complain about your neighbors? Complain about your kids? Complain about what people have done for you? Complain about what people haven't done for you? You know what that does? That supports negative things in your life. You got to get rid of them. You got to get those things out of your mouth. Got to get them out of your thinking, because it's changing, and it's it's changing you, and it's supporting stuff you don't want. And you're pointing the picture at the Legos, 
and you're saying, God, build it. God says, can't build Lego structures with Lincoln Logs. I need something better. I need, I need Legos. See, when you buy one of those kits, they put all the pieces in there that you need to make that picture. When you got born again, God gave you all the stuff that you need on the inside to make the picture that he has told you you can be. You got all, you got all, all right there. But don't create these things. Now, what happens when you get a bad report? Principal calls up and says, your kids are horrible. <laughs> it's a bad report. Right? You get a bad report at work. Not sure if we're going to keep your job. It's a bad report. Most of the times when we get bad reports, we go right to our knees and we start praying. Bad mistake. That is a bad mistake. Because most often when people hit their knees after getting a bad report, their prayers are not faith-based. They are whining. There's a story one time of Brother Hagin. He was uh, talking to uh, the church. This one uh, woman came on up. They've been working hard to get over particularly. I don't remember what the condition was. But um, it had been a little while. They had been talking with her, ministering to her. And his wife asked him, he says, uh, how's she doing? He said, not good. There's still a whine in her voice. Hmm. You know, sometimes when you're talking to God, you whine. And you hate it in your kids. How many of y'all like it when your kids start to whine? What is, what is the words out of your mouth if you are a parent? If you're not a parent, you were a kid. And what happened when you started to whine? Mommy, I don't want any Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't either. <laughs> right? We whine. We complain. And what are we doing? We're giving God Lincoln Logs. And asking him in our prayers to build a Lego set. You don't even need to hit your knees when you get a bad report. Now let me show you how bad bad reports are. Um, if you can pull up on the screen, Genesis thirty-seven twenty-nine. This is a story you all know. But this is how you should not put any stock in a bad report. Because bad reports lie all the time. All the time they lie. Look at this passage. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. Keep on going. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, and I where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. Now look at this. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn in pieces. Is that true? It's not. Is it true to him? Why? Because he got a report. Verse 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. He was sad because of a false report. 
We all know that's a false report. Joseph is not dead. You know how many times the enemy has taken the coat, dipped it in blood, and said, here, take a look at this. Oh, no, I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and we come up with other bad, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, no, my kids are running amok. Stop believing the bad reports. Go back to the Word. What does the Word of God say? And you hang on with that. Because, see, those, that other way of going, it's the way to support something wrong. Matthew 12, 34. We were in Matthew already. Take a look at what he's saying here a few verses back. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason you complain, the reason you gripe, the reason that you believe bad reports so easily is because that's what's in your heart. You may not like that report, but I'm afraid that's, that's apparently true. Deal with it. Change the thing. Get that stuff out of your heart. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account on it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. condemned. By what? Are words important to Jesus? Mark eleven twenty two. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Brother Hagin used to point this out to us. The saying is, re- is said or repeated three times to every one of the believing. It's important what you say. Not just what you believe. I, well, I believe that I'm healed. But you're saying something different. And if he spends more time talking about the saying part than he does the believing part, our focus shouldn't be on the believing part. It should be on the saying part. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So here's a question for you. What is your heart full of? Consequently, what is your mouth full of? If your heart is filled up with reasons for why you don't believe the Word of God, why you don't believe the promises of God, why you believe that this is going to result in utter destruction, this is what your mouth is going to say. If you believe that you are always a victim, then out of your mouth is going to come victim words. What are victim words? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Nobody wants to sit with me. Nobody cares about me. They're all talking nasty things about me. Nobody wants to play with me. No one wants to hire me. We go around, we think this, this kind of stuff. That's not the way to go. No, how do we go? We should be, if my heart is filled with good things, I go around like this. Everybody wants to hire me. But only one of you can. Only one. But everybody wants to hire me. Everybody wants to be my friend. I can't be everybody's friend. But I know everybody wants to be my friend. 
And you come up to somebody, Hi, I'm sure you want to be my friend. <laughs> and if they don't, you just go into someone else. Well, you know, that's fine. This person does. You want to be my friend, don't you? Just think of Gaston. Come and meet me. <laughs> He's one of my favorite characters. If you've never been down to Disney, if you get down to Disney and you get into Disney Park, go see Gaston. Whoever they get playing him, by the time you get down there, it's going to be great. He'd come over here and says, ladies, come and meet me. <laughs> he just, 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 he was so full of himself and it's, it's such a smile on his face and he's so glad. You know, I am just blessing your socks off just by being here. <laughs> we have to get a little bit of that Gaston in us, I think, sometimes. Because too much we have Eeyore. We have an Eeyore mentality. Get rid of that one. Pick up the Gaston mentality. I mean, not all the things of Gaston, but <laughs> I mean, think some good things about yourself. If you don't think you're worthwhile being, having a friend, no one else is going to think it. You've got to think that. Be that way. Understand that God thinks so much of you that he sent his only begotten son to come down on this earth and die on the cross for you. That's how much he thinks about you. So if you go around and say, I'm not worth anything, what are you saying to God? Well, God, your opinion stinks. See, I've got to be speaking this way. I've got to be talking this way. And you're going to find people that want to get around and they want to tell you, you can't be doing that. Well, you know, this is going to happen next. Well, this is where you're going. Stop it. Word of God says, in malice, be as babes. I don't care if people come up to you and slap you across the face. Oh, you probably didn't mean to do that, did you? But you see, they don't even have to slap us across the face and we begin to think, well, I guess they don't like me. So I'm no good. Nobody cares about me. Nobody wants me. Got to get rid of that. Because once you adopt that mentality, now you are putting in the support structure for a whole lot of other stuff. Stuff you're not going to like, stuff you're not going to want, but you're supporting it. Get rid of that thinking. Get it out. Because who would you rather hang around with? Someone when you get there and say, and say hi, how you doing? They say, wow, how are you doing? Oh, it's good to see you. Love to see you. That's good, right? Or would you like to get around somebody? Hi, how you doing? Where have you been? Well, it's about time. Who wants to be around that? Be a positive person. Look for who you can bless, who you can help. So here we go. Here's the end part here. Some of you will say, well, I've already done that. I'm already doing it. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, inside hands, but you're saying, I've already done some, I've already done this. I have had the positive confession. I've been talking about this in a good way and it hasn't changed. It has not changed. I'd love to say who's doing this right now and have you raise your hand, but I'm not going to. I'm going to resist that temptation. <laughs> but you're going to say, I've, I've done this. I've done this. What do I need to do now? Here's the thing. Follow the advice of Jesus. Follow the advice of Jesus. Here's the thing. First off, first thing you've got to do is empty. Empty. First off, you've got to take the house you got to empty it. Got to get it empty. What's the second stop? Second step. You can fill this. You can do this one yourself. 
Fill. Empty. Fill. That's what you want to do. Think of it this way. How many of y'all like coffee? I do not. My hand is just up just to encourage you all. <laughs> I do not drink coffee. I do not want to drink coffee. I love smelling coffee. You will not get me. Don't tell me that you have the coffee that I will like. I will not. Will not. I don't even like coffee ice cream. Anything with a hint of coffee in it will get nothing but, ugh, from me. Cannot take it. Take it. My granddaughter can do coffee. I cannot. No coffee for me. You're at the coffee store. And you have the coffee and you fill it up. And you go and you put the, the creamer in. And you find out after you put the creamer in that it's the wrong one. And it's not one that you like. It's one that you don't like. What do you do? Do you dump half of it out? And then put more coffee in? And put the right kind in? Do you dump two-thirds of it out? How much do you dump out? Because if you don't empty that coffee completely, when you put more coffee in and put your other, what's still in there? The creamer you do not like. It will be there. So what you have to first off do is empty completely. Get it all out. And then fill it. We're only talking about one thing here today. That's your words. You've got to get rid of all the negative words out of your head, out of your life, out of your mouth. All of them. How many? All. all. You have to empty it. Because what was the condition that Jesus said that brought the change? The house was empty, swept, and put in order. The first thing he says was, you got to get rid of that demon spirit that was in there because that's what was making it a mess. You got to get it empty. But then you got to fill it. You got to fill it with something. You got to fill it with words that will change your situation. Fill it with words that say, no, this, this is who I am. This is what I can do. What are the words that you need to speak for your situation, for your job? What are words that you need to say? What are words you need to speak? For your family. What are words you need to speak? I know no one here has done this, but you have been in the Walmart and you have seen other parents do this, right? Because that's where you see it, at the Walmart. You see the, the mom or the dad toting the cart, and they got the two kids in there. Will you stop doing that? You will never amount to anything. Have you heard that? Yeah. That's not good, is it? Now, we, are, we cringe. Oh, how can you say that? You have to empty all the negative conversation, all of the negative thoughts. You have to get it in. And when the enemy comes and tries to plant a negative thought on the inside, what do you do? Out, 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 out. Fill it. Fill it with good. And you begin to declare who you are. How many of you kids have a hard time in a subject in school? Raise your hand. I can do that. You can do outside hands this way. Hard time in, what's your hard time in, what subject? 
Writing? Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> you do not want to see my handwriting. If you wonder why I type everything, that's what it is. Man, I'll tell you what. So this is what you got to do. You got to take that subject. I am a good writer. I am a good writer. And if somebody comes up to you and says, that looks horrible. You're a terrible writer. What do you say? I'm a good writer. <laughs> I'm a good writer. If someone wants to come up to you and says, man, you look sick. What do you say? I'm healthy. I am full of life. I am healthy and whole because that's how my God made me. Instead of, oh, I do? Oh, where's a mirror? I need, I need to see. What do I look like? Oh, oh. Empty. Empty. Get it out. Get it out. And then bring in that good stuff. Bring in that good stuff. If you don't, you will continue to support the same kind of lifestyle that you have been on. And that's why you got it. You can change what you're doing. You can change what you're doing. There's a movie we saw. Uh, watched with the kids a long time ago. It's a good movie. It was on TV. I can't, can't think of the name of it now. Some of you will probably remember it, but it was a guy who was a, he was a knight, wanted to be a knight, always wanted to be a knight, but he didn't, wasn't born in the right family. And his father, who was blind, was it? No, well, that makes sense. A knight's tale. <laughs> and his father said, you can change your stars. He kept telling him that. And he kept holding on, hold on to that belief, I can change my stars. And he eventually became, anybody not seen the movie, Knight's Tale? All right. He eventually became a knight. Not only became a knight, he became the best at the, whatever the, the javelin, the, 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 what they call joust, jousting. Joust, became the best jouster in the land. No one could touch him. No one could touch him. They said this about him. They said he was fearless. Fearless. And he changed his stars. And when the news came out that he was not a knight, that he was born to a poor family, they put him in a public place and they were humiliating him. And all his, all his men, all his people in his group, they were all around him defending him. And the king, King Edward, I think his name was, or somebody like that. Prince Edward? Prince Edward. He came on up to him and he said to him, he says, uh, he says I, I may know nothing about this about you, but I know your men respect you. And he says, that's all I need to know. And he said, release him. And right there, he says, you are a knight. And he knights him. And he wasn't just a knight because he claimed he won. He was a knight because he became one. It's a great little story. But you see, you don't get there by agreeing with everyone around you. You don't get there by all the bad reports that are coming and agreeing with them. You get there by finding what God has said about you and filling your mouth with those words. I am. And you put in your blank what God has called you to be. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you that we can change our future. We can get our, our path to line up with what you have said and when you declare these things like you did with Abraham, your descendants will be like the sand. Your descendants will be like the stars. 
We can believe those things that you say. We can get our speech to agree with our belief. Those things that you promised us. For what you have said about us will come about. But if we keep speaking the way we've always spoke, we'll keep having the things we've always had. We need to break that, that line. We need to start supporting something different. And I thank you, Father, for the help that you always give us in all these situations. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have more to get into this. Changing your speech is one thing. It will help. But there's other things in the Word of God to help us change and to become something. Because God has called you to be something. And most times we look at our life and say, I am not there yet. I am not on that path. But God wants you to be on that path. He wants you to get in that direction. It's not God's fault that we aren't there. It isn't His fault. Somehow, I am supporting the wrong thing. Let him expose it. Let him tell you. And he's done this with me. Steve, you're doing this. Quit this. Don't do that. Start doing this. Do this thing over here. And you can change it. We have a couple of prayer reports that came in. Susan said, the nurse measured you and you gained a Half inch? Wow. All right. There you go. Got taller. Is that what it means? All right. Now I'm drawing that. I'm thinking well, most people our age, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't grow anymore. <laughs> that is good. All right. That is, that is good. Uh, Ethel says, uh, thanking God for his wisdom. And um, this is why I have other people do it. I have a hard time even reading handwriting. Amen. I know exactly what you're... Thanking God for his wisdom and some kind of leading. What was the word there? Practical. Practical. I have a buddy right over here. Right over here. He's helping me out. When I... When I retired, people asked if I was going to give up my parking space and I decided not to do so, mainly because of Wednesday night. <laughs> um, survive get, uh, service, get home late, and need a place to park. If I had given up my space, there would be days now where I would be parked illegally and have to circle the block for long periods of time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Glory to God. My parking place is always there, too. Uh, <laughs> It is good to have those things there. I tell you, I feel for those folks in the city. I used to, have to drive around those places. I was always asking God, dear God, I need a parking place. I need a parking place. And I had a truck. Uh, Candy, we were in the hospital on Valentine's Day, and my husband had to take some tests, so I was talking to this lady, and she was telling me the doctors are trying to find out while her body kept, why her body kept filling up with fluid. Then the Lord so sweetly told me, go over there and lay hands on her and pray. So we had a prayer service right there in the waiting room. Amen. All right. Jim uh, Stortenbecker is still not with us uh, here today. He is uh, having, um, he's, uh, having some problems with his back, I know. Uh, and he was still having some issues with uh, nausea. 
and they were still going on. So he is uh, asking God for wisdom on what to do with, with those things. Glory to God. Today after the service, 1 o'clock, we have the financial peace class that's going to be going on. If you all want to stay for that, just uh, head on out somewhere and get yourself some lunch. Come on back here at 1 o'clock. We'll have that, that going on. Um, Wednesday night, we're still in the Philippians series, still in chapter 1. And next Sunday, we will have the end times class that we'll pick up uh, still in the Second Thessalonians, looking at the teachings that Paul had. We have some things to go over with you, but just before we go, I ask Alyssa if she'll come on up here and go over this. We have the, uh, we put the little flyer in the, in the um, bulletins for you there today, just uh, for the, the uh, Easter egg. We don't like the term Easter. I know that Christians, you know, we, we know where Easter comes from, and, but this is what the world recognizes. So uh, I'll let Alyssa, we need, we need folks to get in on this. If we don't have enough volunteers to, to staff this, we won't be able to do it, but this is the way we can get some uh, people who are used to going to Easter egg hunts and things like that to come on out here and be a part of the, the church. Uh, where is our microphone? We'll get it for you. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm not sure what to do with that. on y'all we have a couple different things a diff- couple different pieces to it we have the easter egg hunt which targets you know the, the families with younger kids like 10 and under ish that age right range we're also having um our free clothing drive so anybody and everybody who wears clothes can participate in that <laughs> you can you know i know what that would, that would be most of the people <laughs> m- most of the people that i know anyway um so with that being said Y'all can start going through your closets. I know it's spring weather, nice spring cleaning. You, We are asking for donations from you guys. It helps us two parts. It gives us stuff to give away at this clothing drive, and it helps you clean out your closets. Woohoo! That's exciting. Um, purses, jewelry, belts, wallets, clothes, shoes, anything that is in good condition. I'm sorry, but I don't want your, you know, ratty band T-shirts from college that have holes all over the place. We don't really need those. <laughs> But anything that you've been holding on to and you're just not going to wear anymore, you don't like anymore, it's from 1992, but it still has life left, somebody else might want it, bring those in starting Mar- the first Sunday in March. You can bring them in, put them in the, in the back room here on the table that's back there, um, and then any Sunday in March, you, they, you bring them on in. Um, for the actual egg hunt, we are going to be you know, stuffing and filling and, and doing all that stuff beforehand. I need people to be able to volunteer time to be here that day to help run and facilitate that egg hunt. That's everything from setting it up. Um, we're going to have different age groups released at one time. So whether the, I'm not sure yet what, if that means that we're going to have one large space and the first kids go and then we refill and then the second kids go and we refill or if we're going to just separate it by space to begin with. Um, with ropes or something. I don't, I, we'll figure that out. But it's going to be putting those eggs out, making sure that the, the different spaces are set up, keeping the children off of the eggs until the time is, is, you know, comes to do that, helping little ones who need help. Maybe we have a mom comes that has four or five kids in tow. God bless them. It happens. Be an extra hand for that. Those are helpers that we need. We also need helpers for the craft tables. We want to have lots of things for them to do to be able to interact and talk and take home and um, really get to know us and kind of chit chat and we get to know them as well. So craft tables are awesome for that. 
their kids are there for a while. They get to be kind of creative with the kids. You get to talk and interface with them, but I need people to do it. <laughs> so if you're, you don't even have to be crafty. I will make it ahead of time and you can put it on the table and say, go make this guys. Easy, done, not a problem. Um, but it is a great job for people who like to talk and chit chat and, you know, get to know other people. Um, so if that interests you, we definitely need them to happen. If you cannot be there personally that weekend, that is fine. There are things beforehand I really do need help with um, as far as filling Easter eggs, sorting clothes by size, um, things that need to get hung up or hung up. Again, giving them a second eye over just to make sure that they're, you know, appropriate and um, nice and clean and not stinky or whatever the case is <laughs> and get them all organized. That will probably be the weekend before that, I don't have my phone and I will not say dates because I will get it wrong, but it'll be the weekend before that weekend, two weekends before Easter. Um, so, again, the, if you know you can absolutely do something, let me know. I can't plan anything over and above until I know that these two specific things are, are taken care of. When we have over and above, like I said, I would love to get, you know, rent some costumes and get characters walking around or face painting or glitter tattoos for the kids, bounce houses, petting zoos. I mean, we could go crazy as long as we've got the people. So let me know if you're available, if you've got questions, that's kind of, that's what we're looking to do.